Before this episode begins, I'd like to thank our Patreon producers, Nick Rie and Robert Nieder, whose generous support makes this episode possible. Thanks, y'all. I am 22 years old, and I have touched three pieces of the moon. I remember writing that down when I was 22 years old. That uh, feels like a very long time ago indeed. I wrote it down in a journal I was keeping, and it became the beginning of something I wrote and never really tried to publish anywhere. It's been called Three Pieces of the Moon, uh, Observations on Life's Occasional Wonders. And the fact of the matter is that we live in a pretty spectacular and fantastic age in some ways. I mean, yes, I recognize as well as anyone else that the world is fraught with horror and terror and peril. I am all too aware of it. Uh, I see it in my life around me, and I see it on the news, and uh, I see it in the uh, everyday cacophony of screaming voices uh, that uh, makes up a good portion of uh, the internet where I spend a lot of my life. Nevertheless, uh, despite those horrors, there are also occasional wonders to this day and age, and one of those uh, wonders is space travel. Uh, if you've seen Alana Pierce and I get together on the internet, we, we like to geek out about technology, space travel, the future. That's a, that's a thing we both really enjoy. And I think a lot of that love for me comes down to having grown up in uh, Washington, D.C., in close proximity to the Air and Space Museum. You know, you think about the fact that, I guess to a lot of folks, the late 1960s seem really far away. I certainly wasn't alive then. But it, it's, you know, plenty and plenty of, plenty of people walking around, working jobs every day that we rub shoulders with. We're there to watch the moon landing, even now. To think about how the world has changed, that, that within the lifetime of a vast number of people on our planet, we, we had not landed on the surface of, of another stellar body, and now we have. People walked around on the moon, and they brought pieces of it home, and somehow I, just an ordinary lower-middle-class dude, uh, grow, you know, a kid growing up in a, in a family in the Washington, D.C. suburbs, by the time I was in college, had somehow managed to touch, on this planet, three distinct different pieces of the moon, all in different places. One in Washington, D.C., one in uh, at the Space Center in Huntsville, Alabama, and one at Cape Canaveral, Florida. Three pieces of the moon. Isn't that extraordinary? Just little old me. You look up there in the night sky and you see it uh, kind of looking back at you. Here in America, we see you see a man on the moon. When I lived in Japan, I found out they see a rabbit on the moon there. Now I can spot it, and I like it a lot. I love the idea of the moon being inhabited by rabbits. H.P. Lovecraft informed us that, in fact, uh, there are cats that uh, dwell on the moon. Uh, I always like the idea of a moon colonized by, uh, by wonderfully civilized, slightly vicious kitty cats. Uh, that seems like a pretty marvelous reality to live in. But I thought about those words. I think about them a lot. I still think they make a good beginning to a book. I've actually touched more pieces of the moon since then. I'm getting ready to go find another one soon. I'm very excited that I found out there's a moon rock near here. I know for some folks, space travel doesn't really do it. Very exciting prospect, but I can't think of much else more marvelous than the thought of uh, reaching our hands out toward the stars and, and touching them. I guess it's a very romanticized perspective. I understand that there were a lot of political considerations in the space race, that much of it was militaristic, that uh, much of it was about control and propaganda and manipulating people. 
But there's also that Star Trek part of it, the idea that maybe in the act of reaching out into something larger than ourselves, we will also look inward and uh, discover just how special what we have here is when compared against the vastness that surrounds us all. It's our own little speck, our own little corner, and that could be a terrifying bit of scale, but it could also be a wonderful one to look and say, well, this is what we got, guys. Let's make the best of it. Yeah, a lot of thoughts there. Anyway, I thought about those words, and I thought very briefly I'd uh, tell the story of the time that I uh, went and uh, first touched that piece of the moon, at least as well as I can remember it, because that, folks, was a pretty good day. So, uh, let's go back in time to Washington, D.C., when I am, according to memory, uh, roughly five years old. Now, the problem with telling childhood stories is that I cannot, in good conscience, really describe to you the factual accuracy of what did and didn't happen, because memories conflate, uh, especially at that age. You know, I'm never going to be completely sure exactly how it all happened. I went to that museum a lot of times, and I think some experiences bleed together. So what you're really going to get is kind of an amalgam of, of a bunch of different memories and impressions. But I think it makes a pretty good story, and I'm comfortable with that. My family moved to Washington from uh, Alliance, Ohio, right around the time that I turned five. I have very vivid memories of the move. I understood that my father was taking a new job in a small church in Arlington, uh, the suburbs of Washington, D.C., just across the Potomac River in Virginia. I remember that it was winter when we moved and snow was falling in Ohio. I remember walking through our house and it being all empty. And how strange that was. Even as an adult, when you move, you know, you take all the furniture out of your apartment or your house and suddenly it's this cavernous place that that's still familiar but alien. It's so different than when you move in and it's empty of furniture. When you move in, it's full of possibilities. It's what you're going to make it. When you move out, it's a place that you've just picked up all the memories and carried them out the door. And there's still these pieces of what was sitting around in that room. But, but it's never quite exactly right ever again. I think the only thing stranger than that last day in a home with the furniture moved out is if you ever go back and someone else is living there and everything's turned around and repainted and reco- oh man that'll mess with you because we don't I don't know like I don't know if human beings are quite genetically ready for for just what moving in and out of new homes is I mean I understand a lot of our ancestors were nomadic peoples and they constantly went from place to place so probably not giving us enough credit but at the same time, there is something kind of frightening about stepping away from, from so many spots and coming into new ones and establishing long-term multi-seasonal homes and then moving away. Not never, not moving with the flow and ebb of the year or anything natural, but just moving because a job changes or because of financial situation. Or not, not, for the, not for the reasons that seem more natural to move on, like a change of the weather or or, or a crop season, or following a, a, a herd uh, so that you can feed your family. Instead, you're moving because of ledgers and artificial rules. And so when you walk to that house, it just feels alien. I remember it as a child being struck by the strangeness, but I was excited. We were moving to Washington, D.C. I thought that was the most exciting place I could imagine. I was a weird kid. I, I liked history. I, even at that age, I liked history. And I liked technology. I liked museums. I liked airplanes and spaceships and computers. I, I liked hustle and bustle and noise. I, and boy, Washington had all of those. I mean, the first thing I remember changing when I moved there was the constant sound of airplanes flying over every second. Just day or night, didn't matter. 
or that you'd step out at night and, and the sky would glow amber no matter what what hour of the night this I used to think of it as the orange peel sky the glow of the city you never really completely saw the stars you just saw this kind of dome of of orange haze and to me it's still a very comforting color when I see it at night and fond memories of that so I moved to there to Washington I was happy I liked my school when I started there uh, really liked my school uh, when I started there in that, that fall, made friends quickly. I was a pretty happy kid for a long time. I was very fortunate in that regard. And I took almost immediately to the excitement of going to the city where there were all these marvelous free things to do. My family didn't have a lot of money, especially then. As a matter of fact, things were even tighter than as a child I understood. And so the number of free public activities, museums, places to go, parks, activities, festivals that, that were available there, man, that I didn't, I, I, we took advantage of each and every one of them and all of them and as often as possible. Weekends were about hopping in the car and driving either to the city to do something wonderful or to the country to go to some kind of civil war battlefield or, or, or festival going on or, you know, that was, that was growing up. I think that probably uh, turned me into a, a believer in uh, in the potential goodness of, of civic work uh, and uh, the fact that not everything uh, a government produces is terrible. Um, and that, uh, that moved me a little bit as a kid. It had a big effect on the way I thought about what was possible. Uh, I tended to look at things and just kind of see, wow, look what we can do when we work together. Well... All the museums in Washington were pretty fascinating to me. The Natural History Museum with its dinosaur bones and giant mastodon. Oh, I just couldn't wait to see that. And the, the American History Museum because, you know, with the ruby slippers and the star-spangled banner and all these. I, I just thought it was spectacular. And on and on through the Lincoln and Jefferson Memorial, the Washington Monument, the Vietnam Memorial. But for me as a kid, there was no beaten the Air and Space Museum. And it's funny when you go there as an adult, because relative to some museums I've been in since then on the planet Earth, it's actually fairly compact and, and modest in some ways. But when you are small, everything is bigger. And when there is nothing in the world cooler than the thought of stepping on board a space capsule or a fighter jet, and then you can actually kind of do it in a museum that lets you touch all kinds of things and see all kinds of things. And you look up and there's the X-1 that broke the sound barrier. And there's the right flyer. And there's an Apollo spacecraft designed to land on the moon. And here's a fake aircraft carrier deck you can run around on it. Oh, man, I loved it. Oh, I loved it. Stepping through those doors the very first time. I do have a clear memory of that. It was on kind of the glass side of the museum. I mentioned the X-1 where there's a lot of airplanes just kind of hanging from the ceiling above you. And you go in and you see the space capsule. And there was a line of people around this kind of black plastic or plaster obelisk, uh, some kind of display. And the line was lined up there. And I was looking all around at the jets. My parents kind of pulled me over toward that line. I was like, what is this? And they said, well, this is where you can touch the moon rock. Now, I didn't know up to that point, at least that's as far as I remember, I didn't understand that somebody 
when they went up to the moon, brought pieces of it back to the planet Earth. The thought just hadn't occurred to me. I figured these guys, you know, they go up there and they're strolling on the moon one day and singing and driving around in their cool moon rovers and doing moon stuff and playing golf. And then they come home. But of course they brought things back. They brought pieces of another world to ours. They brought fragments of another celestial body. And no, I'm not supposed to say planet when it's the moon, but they brought pieces of another planet down with them. People, human beings, in what amounted to a giant bomb with a tinfoil capsule wrapped to the top, with computers far less powerful than, than the ones that, that run our phones, far less powerful than the ones that run our phones, exponentially less powerful, um, on an incredible amount of mathematical prowess and preparation and a lot of bravery and a lot of ingenuity, traveled to another world, and then they brought it back. They brought pieces of it back, and some of those pieces they brought there and put in a public place for the rest of us to touch. They did not hoard them. They shared a piece of the wonder with the public trust. Rich or poor, regardless of race or gender or background or, or, or economics, any of us could walk in there and stand in that line. And as long as we were willing to wait, when we got to the end, we could reach down and touch a piece of the moon. And I think, as I remember it, some of that realization hit my little five-year-old brain all at the same time, looking around at that diverse crowd of Saturday afternoon people there on the D.C. Mall, wandering around the crowded, loud, bustling museum. I remember being struck by this kind of connection between the people around me and how different they all were and how they all came from different places and how I didn't know any of them, but they were all going to go home to their own lives and they all lived in different places and did different things and had different parents and families. But somehow that and the thought of traveling out into the vastness of, of space, those, those, those related ideas converged inside me and they changed me profoundly. I waited what seemed like a half an hour in that line. I will bet you it was five minutes. Again, when you're a kid, time travels slower. Days are longer. Man, I miss that, don't you? I mean, childhood can be an absolute pain, and for some folks, it's a true misery. I was very fortunate to, to not be subjected to too much of that for a while. But I do miss those slow days. Waited in the line, got up, and there's the obelisk thing kind of standing there, weird little display, and in the middle of it, a hollowed-out cavity, in the middle of that, a moon rock, worn down by people's touch against it to smoothness like glass. And I put my fingers on it, and I touched it. It was cold, which surprised me, because so many people have been touching it. I thought it'd be warm somehow. It was cold. It was smooth. And, you know, the funny thing about it is that if I had touched that stone in a park, sitting down by a creekside, not knowing what it was, if I had picked it up out of the grass, I might have not had anything more than a kind of an interesting tactile experience. I mean, when it comes down to it, it's a rock. A good portion of the dust in you and I's houses comes from outer space. There's been some pretty cool writing about that. You know, the idea that, that meteorite dust covers everything. There's probably 
pieces of other stars and worlds sitting in this room right now. There's a little apartment where I'm recording. But still, man, that's pretty spectacular. Pretty incredible thought. I touched it. I touched a piece of another world. And that was only the first of many. That's a pretty good day. I remember a lot more about that day, too. Uh, we traveled from there up to the uh, kind of fake aircraft carrier section where they talk about the, the history of, of military aviation. I walked through the replica of Skylab, the space station, you know, the one that fell down. I mean, we built this space station. <laughs> didn't really work very well. And uh, there's a wonderful replica of it. And when you're a kid, the coolest part, of course, is figuring out how the astronauts peed. Uh, and they have a, a detailed exhibit on that. Seeing the rockets and the capsules, I remember being struck by that. And I had a thing even then for military history, so I wanted to see the examples of aircraft, military aircraft from different eras that were there. I went back to the Air and Space Museum as an adult a few years ago, and again, kind of struck by how small it was. But I still remember going back to some of those same familiar exhibits that were there. And wow, extraordinary. Also, man, for a while there, they had some really rare World War I planes, and that was rad. But I should probably avoid going off on that tangent. So yeah, that was a, that was a pretty good day. The thought that we moved on from that to, to being able to touch more. I think a lot about symbolism, and I, I think some of it's probably my religious background. Ritual is an, an important part of, of growing up in uh, in a religious setting and you tend to apply symbolic or theological or mystical meaning sometimes to objects or acts. I think that I can tend to romanticize uh, things like space travel uh, because of that or at least focus uh, perhaps unduly on the more positive elements of it. But I also think about the tactile power of reaching out and touching something and having it represent the reality of an abstract idea. There's something really beautiful to that. Uh, if you've ever seen the, the film Star Trek First Contact, uh, which is a pretty nifty movie in a lot of ways, it's a wonderful moment where Picard and Data are standing uh, next to a rocket that they've traveled back in time but they know that in the future, this will be the first spaceship from Earth to, to break the warp barrier, to travel faster than light. Picard talks about having seen it in the museum for years, but having never been able to touch it. Now he's standing next to it the day before it launches, when it's brand new, and he's able to reach out and put his hand on it and touch it. Dana asks him about what, the tactile experience is like because being a creature without emotion data doesn't particularly understand why that would the sense of touch would seem any more real and picard explains that for human beings that there's something affirming about being able to touch something about being able to find the reality to it i think about that when it comes to the moon rocks the good things they represent the idea that they're a way of touching ambition and cooperation, optimism and possibility, the promise of a future that perhaps extends beyond the petty concerns of nationality and factionalism that dominate the way a terrestrial world seems to conduct itself. Maybe it represents something better. And then I wonder about the other things in our life that we're fighting for right now. 
whatever our system of belief, whatever our ideology, our politics, our religion, there are things I think that all of us recognize would make the world better. Things that we all hope for for one another. Ideas that seem to get lost in the swirl of pragmatism and the noise of argument and the anger or, or frustration of an immediate moment. If only we had touchstones for those. If only we could find a place to touch our hand and realize, yes, there is something real and possible to this. We can travel to that possibility and bring back a part of it to our world and make it real. We can actually change things for the better because despite all the evidence that it rarely works out, here is a piece of evidence that it does sometimes actually happen, that we do succeed in these endeavors. Can we find those? Can we find those touchstones? Are there places where our hearts and minds can reach and find a place to realize the reality of what has changed and what could and to devote ourselves to it? I believe we can. I can think of a few from my life. I think that's a pretty good thought for a pretty good day. So I ask you, uh, gentle reader, gentle viewer, gentle listener, what are the touchstones of possibility in your life? What is the evidence that you've seen that things can change, that good things can happen? Please share those stories with me and with the rest of us here. You can send them to mail at pocketsfullsoup.com, and if you'd like me to share them, let me know in the email. You can put them in the comments here. And do whatever you like, but share them with each other. It's good to believe that sometimes things get better when we work at it, because it's true. Anyway, that's a pretty good day for this week. I'm your host, Jared Petty. Thank you so very much for watching and listening. I'll see you next time. Hope you'll enjoy Pockets Full of Soup. Uh, and uh, bye-bye.